Well, I've started meditating every morning. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> okay. It really does help. But you know what does not help with meditation? Your brain that won't shut off? Well, there's that. You know what the other thing is? Uh, a cat. Okay. Just sitting in the middle of your floor with your legs crossed and a cat rubbing up against you going, I have my palms open to receive whatever information I'm supposed to receive. I'm receiving a cat's head that's saying, fucking pet me. Yeah. Cats are dicks. Yeah, they do not care about your mental health. Or your zen. A cat will wake you up at 5 a.m. and say, I don't care what you've been through. You're going to feed me right now. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, down bitches. All of our zen down bitches and our not so zen down bitches. Where do you fall? We don't know. But welcome to I Think Not, the podcast where we're trying to get enlightened. (laughs) And by enlightened, I mean recapping your favorite true crime TV shows. I am here with the ever so handsome blue eyes. That is my Joey Taranto. Hi, Joey. Hi, baby. And I am sitting here with the effervescent, beautiful, top knot of all top knots, Miss Ellen Marsh. How you doing? Did you call me effervescent? Effervescent. You said effervescent. Well, you are effervescent and effervescent. I am ever so. She, listen, she is always vescent. Her essence is it's effort. It's. <laughs> It's, that is, I am with you forever. I'm sorry. Have you ever thought about that? Like, have you ever thought about us hanging at the old age home? I try not to tug at that thread too much. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I should be so lucky. Buckle up. We do talk about an old age home today. We're here and we want you to hang out with us more if you want to. Join our Patreon, everyone. We are working our ass off. That's the bottom line. We give you four bonus episodes a month. You got an ad free. You got our close friends. And you got our hallelujah, what's it to you? After we record today, we're going to go to our watch party with a couple bunch of our down bitches. That's the Hallelujah What's It To You tier. And you get an extra episode of a little show we like to call Swamp Talk. That's right. And guess what? We have a jingle now. We have a jingle! We're very excited about it. But it is a very fun opportunity just to lean into the community more and, you know, love on each other because that's really what it's all about. And we've got some good stuff coming up for you in these upcoming months. Some fun stuff we're gonna do at the holidays, some giveaways, some charity work. Yeah. We're gonna we're gonna put our money where our mouth is and put our butts wherever we feel like it. I've been doing that for years. Yeah. Well, also, before we start our episode, there's something I want to tell you. Oh no. So everybody knows that I I've been going through a breakup and I've like, it's, you know, so many stages. It's it's so much, right? On top of like a lot of loss in the past year and a half. Well, there's the stages of grief and then there's gay grief. Yeah. That's like, there's like six extra stages in there. What they are, I'll leave that for you to ruminate on. Use your imagination and be graphic. But I did discover this podcast called The Breakup Bootcamp. Okay. It's with Amy Chan and it's basically a step-by-step guide to surviving your breakup. She went through a tumultuous breakup and she's like, I did not have the tools I needed to get through it. I listened to it. I have learned so much and it literally is. It goes through all the stages of grieving a relationship. So I just want to say, if you're out there and you're in pain and you're trying to mend your heart, I highly recommend this podcast. It really informed me so much and made me feel, one, so seen and two, not alone in my pain. Oh, I love that. really fascinating. Is it weird when I crawl into your bed at night and say you're not alone. 
You're just one of my many froggers, my love. Yeah. Oh, that's great. I love to hear that. What is the stage where you want to hack into their Facebook and make a post that they cheated on their girlfriend and then someone convinces you not to because it won't be a good look like six months down the line? What stage is that? I think that's anger, my dear. Oh, okay. I thought it was the unhinged stage. I sat there for a bit, but really, really glad I had you to talk me out of that decision. Literally, I was like, you're done. Well, here we are. We have a new series for you for the month of, I don't even know what month we're in. This comes from lots of recommendations, but I will tell you who it comes from the most, and that is my friend Mark Tuminelli. He has been hounding me to do this show for months and months. So for you, Mark, and for all of our dumb bitches that asked, our next series we're covering is True Nightmares. This program is based on true events. Certain scenes and dialogue have been dramatized, and it may even cause nightmares. I want to report a murder. The lack of sleep and the nightmare it brings. A strange ritual unsettling to the living and the dead. It's supposed to be a place of peace. And a dark secret that brought death and more death. But rest assured, the stories you're about to see actually happen. And we are so sorry for your loss. I guess they're nightmares that have already come true. We're going to do season two, and we're going to do the first four episodes and see where it gets us. First of all, at the top of the show, there is a warning that this show might cause nightmares. And I'm like, haven't we been through enough with Frogger? Yeah. Haven't we all been convinced that there's a goblin stealing our bras and living in a can of soup up in the attic? I don't have time for any more nightmares. I don't have time to ruminate on how every noise I hear in my apartment is a ghoul or a goblin. I don't want this. I don't ask for this. <laughs> it's time we got right with the Lord yelling. It's time we got right. Bow your head in prayer. Okay. Okay, here, here we go. Here we go. Dear Anya, who can say where the road goes? Where the day flows? Only time? I don't think so. I think it's the devil, and he is busy. Working overtime to haunt my dreams, the devil is a frogger, and this time he's frogging in my mind. <laughs> Sitting there waiting like a spider. Dear Anya, I ask that you please let the Orinoco flow. Diggy-doo and legate and the monks of them in the fields and the attics of my mind. In Anya's name we pray, sail away, sail away. <laughs> Hallelujah. This is True Nightmares, and there are so many nightmares. But let me introduce you to our new best friend, Todd Robbins, who is the host. I'm Todd Robbins, and all my life I've been fascinated with stories so strange, so dark, so twisted. They couldn't possibly be true. Well, I did look Todd Robbins up, and he is a theater nerd, and he does pop up everywhere in this show. This show is told all in reenactments. Yep. So... I kind of feel like I know why the down bitches asked us to do this. There are three stories in these episodes, and we're starting right out the gate with some shit. So get a Snickers if you're hungry, grab a bottle of wine if you're thirsty, Donna Summer, okay? Well, we are in Toronto, Canada. Welcome, Canada. We haven't been in you in a while. And the year is 1987, which brought us I Need You Tonight by NXS. The Rhythm is Gonna Get You by Gloria Estefan. R.I.P. Matthew Perry, because that joke is one of the best ones from Friends. 
I guess he must have gotten the part in that play. Oh. Yeah, either that or Gloria Estefan was right. Eventually, the rhythm is going to get you. And I Want to Dance with Somebody by Whitney Houston. Oh, you know, that's one of my audition songs. Is it? Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you sound amazing singing it. Such a great it. song. It just makes you so happy. Absolutely. Well, we are at a police station. It's 4.45 a.m. in the morning, and Ken Parks walks into the police station to report a murder, and the officer says... Controlling it at 1078 at the duty desk. Listen, I don't know what a 1078 is, but a desk filled with duty don't sound right. Who duty the desk? No, Joey, that's not what he meant. It is what he meant. No. It was duty desk. No. The duty duty <laughs> on the desk. That's not what it's 4.45 a.m. Somebody dutied on the desk. The desk duty. Don't you think reenactment Ken Parks looks like a younger, hotter brother to Philip Seymour Hoffman? Absolutely. Like, if Philip Seymour Hoffman wasn't Philip Seymour Hoffman... <laughs> Like, right? He is a good-looking guy, but he does look very creepy. Yeah. Well, this show really wants you to know that this takes place in Canada because there are Maple Leafs everywhere. <laughs> like, the, they have it on their pretend costumes. They have just a Maple Leaf flag. They're like, we really need a feeling of Canada. There's, like, an, a moose walking through the back. Yeah. They're, Shania Twain's an extra. Yeah, everyone's just sitting, eating, like, bowls of maple syrup. Yes, Alanis Morissette's just standing there naked in a subway. They just, like, go to the doctor for free. Like, it's just, it's crazy. They're like, just make it really Canadian. Ken Marks is here in the middle of the night reporting a murder. Why? Put a pin in that because we are now going back in time six months. Tony Robbins is here. We're already into the vibe of this show. To everyone who knew him, Ken Parks didn't seem like the kind of guy who would end up in a police station in the middle of the night reporting a murder. And we learn from Delmar Desette, who's an attorney. We don't know who's attorney. Just an attorney. Yeah. Just a helpful attorney. But he is from Canada because he says... Ken and Karen uh, appear to be a normal young couple. New home. Living in the suburbs of Toronto. Because that's the way Canadians say Toronto. 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 Yeah. yeah. So we know that this guy is at least a Canadian lawyer. It's also how sometimes people pronounce my last name. Joey Toronto. Or Toronto. Or Toronto. Toronto. Or Toronto. And I'm like, it's Toronto. Yeah. But recently, Ken was withdrawn and distracted. I'm sorry. I didn't sleep awake last night. I just need coffee. And it didn't go unnoticed by his wife, Karen. Ken, is there something going on? I'm dealing with some things at work, but I've got them under control. Ken's boss saw the changes in him as well. Ken. Ken. Oh, geez, sorry, Bill. I didn't hear you. I was just in your office. Are you forgetting something? Something tells me that I am and that you know what it is. It's your projections for the Boston account. You remember those? Projections, accounts, also known as your job? Yep. Yep. Got it. I hope so, Ken. I really hope so. You've been making a lot of mistakes lately. Is everything all right? Yeah, just dealing with some things at home. Saying one thing to your boss, another thing to your wife. What's really going on here? The answer to that can be found where Ken disappears to every evening after work. And cut to Ken in a casino. And I actually love gambling. I love gambling. On what I, planet? No, I do. I gamble. I, I Every time I put money in the machine, like a, a Kit Kat comes out or like a Diet Coke. Or, or, that's not a gamble. That's a vending machine, Meemaw. Well, I am win at it. <laughs> 
So, Except for when your Kit Kat gets stuck in the vending machine and you have to shake it and then it falls on top of you. Do you know how many people are seriously injured by trying to shake a Kit Kat or something of the like out of a vending machine and the vending machine falls on top of them? If you Googled that number and you know it and you give me the correct number right now, nope, you, you had to have already Googled it. I haven't. I would make all your dreams come true. You know what I mean? Ew. I would make all your dreams come true. What, what is it? This is my cougar voice. Oh, I don't like Yeah. Me. Um, <clears throat> well. No! <laughs> Daddy wants to make your dreams come true as yeah, well. Yeah, how are you going to make my dreams come true, Daddy? I'm going to shake the shit out of that vending machine. Yeah. I'm going to get you that Kit Kat. Yeah. God. And then what are you going to do with the Kit Kat? I'm going to eat it. <laughs> I win. Hard tin. All of it. Hey, shooter is up. Seven out. He did have a gambling problem, for sure. He began to lose money, and he thought the way to get back the money that he had lost was to keep gambling, to get the big win. Ken's been losing money like this every night for the last few weeks. So much money, in fact, he's practically emptied his bank account. Trouble at work, gambling losses, a mortgage, bills and other financial obligations. It's enough to keep any man up at night. By day, he was struggling to keep up with his work. By night, there were losses at the casino, followed by regret, worry, and insomnia. Have you ever gone even like two days without sleeping? Yeah. It is excruciating. Absolutely. It's miserable. And and it manifests itself with physical ailments. I mean, like, we have to sleep. Also, he was depressed. He had anxiety. So one day, he's like, again, remember, this is all done in reenactments. The only person who talks to us is our new BFF, Todd. And we see reenactment Ken go to the refrigerator. Like, we've all done in the middle of the night when you can't sleep. You're looking for a snack, or you want some seltzer, or you want some juice, or water water, but Ken goes for something a little more thirst-quenching in the middle of the night. Night after sleepless night starts to really take a toll on Ken. He goes for milk. He drinks milk. Out of the carton. He is chugging milk. Who drinks milk beyond the age of like two? I do love milkshakes, but every time I drink it, it's, it brings all the boys to the yard. My milkshake brings all the boys to the yard. Just they come flocking. Yeah, because they can't miss the duty disc. That was a lactose intolerance joke. Do you see what I did there? What does that say? I can't help that I have perfect opinions and a great rack. I can't help it. Mommy milkers. So he chugs that quart of milk and then spills it everywhere and leaves it. I'm like, listen, even if you're chugging milk in the middle of the night and you're really tired, can you get the milk in your mouth? Also, if you leave it there, it's going to be yogurt by the morning. Disgusting. And so the point is, is that Ken is no longer sleeping at all. We cut to him at a barbecue. Soon, even his friends and in-laws start to notice that something is wrong with Ken. How could they not? Ken, you better flip that one. It's going to burn. Kenny. Kenny. I was going to say, you better flip that burrow. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. I mean, all was going very well in his life until he developed the gambling problem. Ken never tells anyone about his financial troubles, not even his own wife. My heart breaks for anyone who's battling an addiction. Absolutely. And the other problem is... Ken was doing it alone. He didn't tell anyone. No one knew about it. And I'm sure he had a lot of shame, as most addicts do. And to go through that alone, that's rough. Yeah. Ken Parks had a very normal life. He was very close to his in-laws. Is that normal? Are people close to their in-laws? I don't know. I've never had them. Oh, 
God. Like, people are just walking around with nice in-laws, I guess. So we're back at the barbecue, and his mother-in-law, who he loves very dearly, we sadly also learn is a sociopath. They're having burgers. She brings over the condiment tray. There's buns. There's salt and pepper. There's mayo. I assume the ketchup is somewhere else. There's no ketchup, but I'm sure they don't have ketchup. But they have two kinds of mustard, and I look at the mustard, and they're both Dijon. You don't like Dijon mustard? Not a single yellow mustard option? You need a yellow mustard option. It's true. You're going to go have a meat that was cooked on a grill without yellow mustard? Someone needs to be arrested in that house. And it's fucking mother-in-law, what's her toes? You heard it here first. Ellen draws the line at Dijon mustard. I would leave the party. Well, we're just going to sit here eating burgers with Dijon? What are we, French? What happens in San Francisco? I have no idea. Anyway, Karen turns to her mother and she's like, I have to turn you into the authorities. <laughs> no, she basically is like, He's been under a huge stress at work and hasn't been sleeping much, to be honest with you. Last week, I found him walking around the living room at like three o'clock in the morning. Like he was sleepwalking or something. He looked for a way to erase his gambling debts without anyone finding out just how far down he'd gone. Seven grand for Clarendon Limited. I never heard of these guys before. Vendors. Gotta pay him, Mona. You know, this is the third check I've written to cash this month. Boss man said he wanted it delivered today, too. Can't say why. Okay. That's the plan. Steal money from work, gamble with it, win, pay off debts, and then replace the money into the company account before anyone knew it was missing. He was sort of like borrowing it, like Sue Ellen in Don't Don't Tell Mom Mom the the Babysitter's Dead. Dead. But here's the problem. Ken was a really bad gambler. He wasn't winning anything to put the money back. Yeah. Ken was a terrible gambler. All right, Todd. Let's not rub salt in the wound that he's a bad gambler. We don't need to kick a dog while he's down. He made about $30,000 in fake invoices, which means... He stole $30,000 from his job. Sadly, the jig was up for Ken. Because one day he goes to work, his boss is standing there with the cops, and the boss says, Ken, I'm going to need you to go with this gentleman, okay? We don't want any problems. Hey, turn around. Place your hands behind your back. That had been discovered. He had lost his job, and he had been arrested for that theft. Come with me. He's obviously fired from his job, spends the night in jail. And you know what's worse than spending the night in jail? Going home and having to face your partner. How could you do this? How could you lie to me? Forge checks? I mean, who are you? I can't help myself. I don't know what's wrong with me. I'll do whatever it takes not to lose you. You're going to go to Gambler's Anonymous? And you're going to come clean to our entire family? I am sick of covering for you. And you sleep on the couch. But here's the thing. Ken is not sleeping. He hasn't slept at all in a really long time, and he is delirious and not in his right mind. So we cut to the night in question. We see Ken go into a room with what looks like to me is a crowbar, and then we're back in the very, very, very Canadian police station. I want to report a murder. Yeah, you said that. Did you get all this blood? Shot somewhere? You stabbed? And now we see the blood on reenactment Ken's hands. Where's this murder? 301 East 3rd Street. So I'm going to have you come with me, all right? 301 East 3rd Street. It was an address that Ken knew very well, one he'd been to many times before. When he thought of that place, he smiled. But not after this night and what had happened there. 
The victim was an older woman. She was found six feet away from the bed and had sustained blunt force injuries to her nose, eye, and skull. Dispatch in five. One female appears to be deceased. The woman had also been stabbed repeatedly in the chest. The fatal blow, a stab to the heart. Sir, who did this to you? Who was I? My son-in-law. Ken. Ken Park. So yes, Ken drove 14 miles from his home to attack his father-in-law and murder his mother-in-law. But why? Yeah, why? They actually really got along, which is curious to me, but I'm not asking follow-up questions right now because this is not an investigative <laughs> podcast. So he was charged with murder and attempted murder because, thank goodness, the father-in-law survived. And even though he confessed, he pleaded not guilty. It seems so open and shut, but Ken had a very, well, strange defense. He was sleepwalking. What? In the organic, free-range, GMO, fuck kind of defense is sleepwalking. Come on. Also, if you were sleepwalking, were you sleep driving, Ken? You slept through the whole thing? How is that? You left your home, you got a weapon, and you killed people, and you were sleeping? Yeah, well, it turns out that Ken Parks comes from a family of sleepwalkers. And in fact, when he was around 11 years of age, his mother found him one night with one leg hanging out a window as he was about to jump out a six-floor window. So he would have died if she had not intervened. It was at that point that sleep experts were retained and consulted, and a full sleep study was done to see whether, in fact, he was a sleepwalker. I looked this up because I was so fascinated, but four psychiatrists were involved in assessing Ken, and he did a sleep study over a four-month period of time because, obviously, we're talking about murder. We're not trying to, like, you know, get him on some really strong melatonin here. And so they really did a full... You can't fake sleepwalk. You can't fake falling asleep. So the stress and the gambling was causing him to obviously have irregular sleep and the sleep study found out that he went from a deep sleep to awake and you can only find that in somebody who has a legitimate sleepwalking disorder. Well, he goes to court. His lawyers said Ken should not be convicted for something he couldn't control. Interesting. But what would a jury say to such a creative defense? Well, at trial, uh, it was decided that Ken Parks had such an extraordinary set of factors for sleepwalking that could not be reproduced that he was let free. Yes, Ken was allowed to leave the courtroom a free man, go home and finally get some sleep. I did not see that coming. I don't know what happens in Canada other than maple syrup and Alanis Morissette, but like, What? Yeah. Well, he did serve, this was not in the episode, but he did serve a year in jail, like waiting and the four month sleep study and everything. But I was like, they don't even get him on manslaughter? Yeah. Canada is wild. Well, also, we should say, there was no motive for him to murder his in-laws. So they were able to conclude that it was his sleepwalking matched with his stress over his addiction. But I kept thinking about Karen. Karen was like, you may be free, but you still fucking killed my mom. That is just too much to handle. They got a divorce. And another thing that added to the court case that I was looked up, I looked up the whole sleep study on him. He was 
horrified. And he was deeply remorseful about what happened. Does That doesn't make someone go free, but it just aided in the fact that he really had no idea what was happening. Has this ever happened before? Great question. I would love to tell you. There are 35 documented cases worldwide of homicides committed while sleepwalking. This isn't an isolated incident. It's really, really fascinating and so tragic. And we end this story with Todd sitting right next to reenactment Ken. I was like, Todd, run for your life. Uh (laughs) Todd, get out of there. He can sleep, do anything. I mean, truly. And I don't think that he's going to do double dutch in the driveway. Yeah. Well, we are all moving on to our next story, and that is the story of Professor Anatoly Moskvin. Uh, you all, when I tell you to take an edible now, I don't care if you're listening at five o'clock in the morning. I don't care if you live in Australia. I don't care if you live in a state where it's illegal. Grab something. Grab onto someone. Put on a life jacket. I don't know what's going to happen. Well, the year is 2011, and we are traveling far away, y'all, because we are in a graveyard in Russia. Meet Natalie and Isaac Soltanov, visiting the final resting place of their 10-year-old daughter, Tatiana, whose life was tragically cut short weeks earlier. We miss you, baby. And as if this isn't tragic enough, if the set and props designers don't get their fucking shit together with these grieving parents putting down a $2.99 Michael's plastic fucking flower, stop it. (laughs) You guys are fucked up. That's all I have to say. Please stop it. What is it? It's a doll. It's a creepy fucking doll. It is. All dolls are creepy to me, even the Bratz ones. It's a note attached. What does it say? It's to Tatiana. My dear little lady, you must be so excited with Christmas so near. What kind of a person would leave these things on our Tatiana's grave? Don't let it get to you. The mother, Natalie, is heart-wrenched. She's confused. She thinks it's, like, gross and tormenting. She doesn't recognize the handwriting. But there is a detective on the case, and his name is Bill Marsh. Yeah. My Uncle Bill. (laughs) Uncle Bill showed up at every holiday and was like, oh, I left my presents at home. I can't turn around. Fuck you, Bill. Fuck you, Uncle Bill. Uncle Bill's a dick. He always got drunk on Amaretto, never had cash, always was like, Ellen, go make me a plate. Fuck you, Bill. Here's a lifesaver. Boat appetite. Yeah. The note and the musical doll were the first of a string of strange messages left at this young lady's final resting place. After the parents continued to regularly visit the gravesite, these notes kept coming in. A great number of items that are left around that gravesite, toys, uh, flowers from other gravesites, and those notes that were left appeared to be handwritten. The handwriting was not different. It all appeared to be one individual. The notes kept coming, but soon Tatiana's gravestalker left a message of a different kind. One far more disturbing. One that couldn't be ignored. Ah! What is this happening? So two weeks later, the grieving parents show up at Tatiana's grave, and it was ruined. It was in shambles. Who would fucking do that to any grave but, like, a child's grave? What monster is, like, going around ruining headstones? I can't even imagine. It would be re-traumatizing all over again. It's supposed to be your final resting place. With that, they immediately went to law enforcement to seek their help. Sadly, Tatiana's family wasn't the only one to be tormented by this heinous act. Over the next several months, detectives would receive 12 more cases just like it. 
One by one, the police recalled the cemeteries to find more ransacked graves. And of great significance in the investigation was the fact that the, the grave sites that were disturbed were those that contained the remains of young females, ranging from the age of three to, I believe, the age of 15. What is happening? What is happening? And they're all freaked out. How could they not be? And the thing is, the cops don't have a lead. They don't know what's happening. They don't know who is behind these terrible acts. As the weeks passed, they exhausted every lead. So they looked for someone that they hoped would have a better understanding of all this. And they found the right man, Professor Anatoly Moskvin, an acropolist, a graveyard scholar. How do you get that job? I, I don't know. He was like, I need to be an expert in something. There's experts in astrology, math, human behavior. Wait a second. Are there graveyard experts? That's what I'm going to be a fucking expert in. Where do you get that diploma? Well, I looked it up, and this man, he visited 752 cemeteries. He took detailed notes on each one and delved into the histories of all the people buried at those cemeteries. He claimed he was like a hands-on historian. He said he would walk 20 miles a day in graveyards. I guess that's how you become a graveyard expert. Wow. Yeah. That is bizarre. Well, Professor Moskvin says, I've seen this before. Sometimes it's a deranged mourner. He's lost someone himself, but sometimes it's something darker. This is more rare, but it's not unheard of. There are cults, satanic in nature. The satanic panic, of course. Of course, 2011 was the perfect time to blame such an atrocity on the satanic panic. Literally Satanists everywhere are like, wow, you guys are being really mean. Are you guys listening to that metal music? Okay, so I worship Satan, but I am minding my own business whilst I do it. They try to communicate with the dead, get messages across to the other side, as it were. And it can go beyond desecration of the gravesites. Extreme cults can go so far as to desecrate the body itself. Have you discovered anything like that in your investigations so far, detectives? They couldn't get it out of their minds. Questions needed to be answered. And for that, it required doing the unthinkable. The detectives asked Tatiana's parents permission to dig up her casket. Let's go ahead and open it up. The casket is empty. This sweet, innocent girl's remains have been stolen. Mark Tuminelli, are you okay? Yeah, is everyone okay? I did not sign up for this. I, did, I, I was just having fun with Todd Robbins over there. He's like an actor and he does magic and stuff. I did not survive being gay in the late 90s and early 2000s for this. He, he, this poor boy did not flat iron his hair and wear eyeliner to the club to have to go through this TV show. We did not get through the death of Scott Scanlon on season two of Beverly Hills 90210 to come and deal with this. People have no feelings for us. Hoping Moskvin could provide some information, police visited his home. Hello, can I help you? We're looking for Anatoly Moskvin. Come on, I'll take you to him. Turns out, Moskvin lived with his mother. Right this way. What's this? A middle-aged man with a life-size doll collection? No, that would be weird. What's going on here proved to be something much more demented. There's papers everywhere, and it is full of these creepy dolls and dried flowers. And then we find out... Moskovin was not only an expert on body snatching, he was a participant. He was a fucking body snatcher! Well, he would creep into the cemetery at night, exhume the bodies, and then he would 
mummify the little girls and put them in clothes and put makeup on them? What in the goddamn French fried double fuck is happening on this TV show? How do we end up here? How do we get up this Pandora's box of depravity? We need sage. We need Jesus. We need a Gideon Bible. We need something. This is not working. I can't work like this. I need a Xanax. I need somebody. I need Jesus to swoop on a chariot of fire and pick me up and drop me off in New York. I'm sick of Jersey. I'm sick of coming here and dealing with this. Don't blame Jersey. No, we need a shaman. We need a priest. We need some witches. I need Joan Cusack holding on to an electrical socket with her hair singed to the winds. Somebody come explain this to me because I did not sign up for this. I don't like it. I don't want it. I didn't ask for it. I blame you. This is you. I blame Mark Timonelli. Oh, and her too. He would then dress them in very colorful clothing, position them around tables. He would sing to them, have tea parties, celebrate holidays. He was starting to build his own family, if you will. This was not in the episode. This is my side research. He basically said that he dug up these little girls because he was lonely and he was a single man and his biggest dream was to have children. He they wouldn't he wanted to adopt kids and they wouldn't let him adopt kids cuz he didn't make enough money. Also not in the episode, do you know how many dolls were in the house? I don't want to know. 29. Jesus Christ. He also thought that he could bring them back to life and they would be safe. And your uncle Bill was like, even though I've been doing this for over 40 years, this particular case caused me to go are you kidding me? I mean, the police never thought that the man who was trying to help them solve the crime was the fucking criminal. Yeah. Well, something we didn't mention about that doll that they originally found in the cemetery was that you pulled it and it played music. Also not in the episode, they found music boxes inside the bodies of the little girls to produce sound. I think you can stop now. It's... I don't want to know any more. Also not in the episode, the court in Russia deemed him unfit to stand trial. I was like, you're unfit for the earth, sir. And he confessed to 44 counts of abusing graves. And he said to the victim's parents that he just brought them home and wanted them to stay warm. It is important to note that, thank God, there was no sexual nature to yes. anything that he was doing. He deeply thought he could bring them back to life. And he is still now living in a medical facility in Russia. I don't have words. I did some research. It's all online. It is graphic in nature, be warned. But it is there if you want to look it up. And I will not be Googling that. So y'all thought we were done. No, no. We are not. Because we have a third story for you, and we are revisiting the story of Amy Archer. She was the proprietor of an elderly home in 1914, Connecticut. If you remember, we covered this story on Deadly Women. On Deadly Women. We have a little bit more information on this one, but don't worry. Todd Robbins is here, and he wants to talk about getting old. Each day, we wake up. Filled with the hope that today will be as good a day as yesterday, perhaps even better. But one day, we wake up to discover that we can't do all the things we could do the day before, and the next day we can do even less. It's called getting old. Thank you, Todd. Shut the fuck up. Also, I hate getting old. I'm so old, I have George Washington's beeper number. I'm so old that I was sitting on top of a man the other night and my knee popped. Oh, very loudly. I am so old, I watched Jurassic Park just to see my old friends. <laughs> I'm like, hey guys. I am so old, I watched Cocoon the other day and I thought, oh, my peers. <laughs> 
I'm so old. This is for real. I'm so old that it took six minutes to get on the internet. And when you did get on the internet, if somebody called, it knocked you off the internet. Remember that? <laughs> oh, God. You couldn't talk on the phone and use the internet at the same time? It's true. One of the men who lived in this home was 61-year-old Frank Andrews. Although he was a resident of the home, at 61, Frank was younger and healthier than the average guest and would assist Amy with the other patients. In exchange, he got a nice place to live, full of good friends, for a good price. Another member of the Archer home was the staff physician, Dr. King. No, not that Dr. King. This Dr. King doesn't have dreams, only nightmares. So if anyone was sick, Dr. King tended to them. Yeah, and he was very rude. Dr. King had a fucking attitude. Yeah, he did. Okay. What are you doing? Uh, Mr. Cutler's cough, it's, it seems to be getting Besides worse. Besides being Amy's helper, Mr. Andrews, I wasn't aware that you also possessed a medical degree. I suggest that you keep your offers of help confined to your areas of expertise, namely the garden. Wow, Dr. King has a mouth on him. The fucking Regina George of the 1914s. Gretchen, stop trying to make fetch happen. It's not going to happen. Dr. King was a dick. Oh yeah, this man is uh, sassy pants. But then something unexpected happened. Frank, the youngest and healthiest guest of the Archer home, awoke in the middle of the night. And without warning, collapsed and died face down on the bathroom floor. He was only 61 years old. It was very odd. He was totally healthy. His sister, Nellie Pierce, was like, Doctor, what happened? Well, your brother slipped into a coma last night and never recovered. Nausea, vomiting, and it was, it was just downhill from there. Terrible stomach pains. Stomach boils as well. I just saw him two days ago, and he was fine. He was healthy. I don't understand this. Is we have your brother's personal papers and such, some of his books. You can send for his clothes and the rest of his things. Again, we are so sorry for your loss. And Nellie was like, well, fuck this place and fuck her too. Yeah, and she, fuck you too, Dr. King. Yeah, she was like, these bitches are shady, fucking Dr. King. Not that one, the, the other, other one. one. And so Nellie is like, I'm going to the cops. Spears, I, I know you're in shock with your, your brother's sudden death, but you know, he did live in an old folks home. And you know, I don't want to be callous, but you know, those people that live in those places, you know, they, they, they die. You know? No, something happened. I know it. I feel it. Something happened. Mrs. Pierce, I can't go over to uh, Archer Home just on your hunch. I'm sorry. You know, really, we can't help you. Mrs. Pierce. Okay, uh, I can't promise anything, and my partner over there is probably right. But I'll look into it for you. Nothing official, okay? Thank you so much. So they went there and they were like, hey, what can you tell us about this guy that was only 61 that died? His sister is confused and pissed. And quite frankly, we don't want to hear it from her. And Amy was like, well, the fact of the matter is this was not the first time that Frank Andrews complained of stomach pain. His condition worsened and he slipped into a coma. This is the last stop for all of our patients. They come to us already very old and sick. Well, Frank Andrews wasn't old. And according to his sister, he wasn't sick. Detective Huntington had a hunch that something wasn't adding up. So he had all the death certificates pulled from the last year at Archer Hole. And from six months alone, there was a lot. Yeah, there was this poor extra who was like, Whoa, what are these? The death certificates you requisitioned from Archer Hole. 
These are the death certificates from one year? No. This is just from the last six months. And so at that point, they began their investigation into the death records and the comparisons between the death rates. And what they found was rather astonishing. Hey, Jim. What's up? I got something on that Andrews case. Look, all right, I know what you're going to say. Already to old folks' home, people are supposed to be dying. Agreed. But from a heart attacks and dementia and old age. But that's not how they're dying. Look at this. Vomiting, extreme nausea, stomach boils, death. Honestly, I hate it when I get the death. Oh, yeah. Him? Yes, he died from death. Death yeah. is the reason he died. So I think we're all good here. Yeah. And the all the death certificates were signed by the same person. Dickie Dr. King. Not that Dr. King. Yes. The other one. If there's anything lacking or suspicious in Dr. King's documentation of the deaths at the Archer home, the local coroner or medical examiner would have noticed. But Windsor, Connecticut is a very small community. And Dr. King is not only one of the few physicians in the area and the resident doctor here, he's also the local coroner and medical examiner. So they go to Dr. King's office and we know he's a doctor because right behind him is a doctor coat. Yes. And only doctors can get those coats. It's true. You find an odd doc that a lot of the uh, patients here seem to die of uh, stomach ailments as opposed to, say, cancer or, uh, or a heart attack? Well, Detective... I'm a doctor with a lot of old, sick patients, so no. Okay, Doc. I get the point. If we can get a copy of the autopsy results, we'll get out of your way. Uh, there was no autopsy. Patients who die here don't get autopsies. You know what that would cost? So the detectives order that Frank Andrews' body be exhumed. And what they find is astonishing. They found copious amounts of arsenic in this man's body. And so now the detectives are like, this is fucked up. And they go back to Dr. King to speak with him and confront him. Do you know how much you spent last year on arsenic? Are you insinuating? <laughs> I didn't buy that arsenic for myself. I, why would I need it? Well, why is your name on every single arsenic purchase order for Archer Home? Because I'm a medical doctor. I have a license to buy it. Also, I'm a coroner and a doctor. Also, I'm the supplies buyer. I also am a director, and we're putting on Our Town at the at the local community theater. Would you like to come? Yeah. The or tickets, are you completely soulless? The tickets are 55 cents, because it's 1914. I mean, what do you? What else do you want from me? When was Our Town written? I don't know. Just go with it. Okay. okay go. And we're putting on Rent. You don't even know what it is, but it's coming. <laughs> do you like Shrek the Musical? <laughs> it's very ahead of its time. Besides... I was told to buy it. By who? By Amy Archer. She said she had a rat problem. Amy Archer does have a rat problem, and that rat is Dr. King. He's ratting her out to the police. He told the detectives that Amy asked him to order that arsenic, and lots of it. He didn't ask questions. She said she had a good use for it, and she does. But it's not the one that the good doctor thinks it is. So it wasn't the fucking dickety doctor that was killing all of these older patients. So something that you should know is Amy Archer was letting residents in with the idea that they could stay there as long as they were alive. 
for a flat fee. That means that there's not really a lot of turnover because just because someone is elderly doesn't mean that they're going to pass in the next year. They could live there for up to 20 years. Yeah. Or like my mom. You know my mom's never dying. I know, baby girl. And so this business model was not working out for Amy Archer and she found a way around it. Yeah. Basically, she was a murderous cunt. Would kill them. Amy had a maniacal plan to sustain her business model. She would dose her unsuspecting guests with arsenic poison. As soon as one resident died, Amy would move another unsuspecting victim right into their place so she could repeat the pattern and keep her business alive. An investigation revealed that Amy Archer had poisoned some 60 of her own residents. I can't even imagine. You're thinking you're just going to like let your family member, your loved one, live out their days in peace and comfort. They're going to be taken care of. Not in the Archer house. It is truly horrifying. And so Amy spent the rest of her life in an institution until she died in her 90s. I have, one, I have a bit of research on the end. Hey, sweetie. Hi, Mom. Um, real quickly, what? Am I on the radio? You're on the radio. <laughs> what's okay. the What's the promise you made me? That I would never die and leave you alone. There it is. And mommy, what was the promise you made me? <laughs> that I would teach you karate. No, it, the promise was that you were going to tongue kiss me under the mistletoe this year. You remember that? Ooh, <laughs> that sounds kinky, mama. <laughs> So not in the episode. I did some side research on our bestie, Amy, because we've seen her before and I wanted to wrap this all up. Amy Archer was arrested and tried for murder, originally only on five counts. Wow. And ultimately, her lawyer managed to have the charges reduced to just one, and that was for Frank Andrews. And on June 18th, 1917, a jury found her guilty and she was sentenced to death. She appealed in 1919 because she was like, actually, I want to plead insanity. Can I do that? And so she testified and said she was addicted to morphine and she was still found guilty for murder. But that's when she got sent away and not sentenced to death and then sentenced to like a medical facility to live out the rest of her days. People back then didn't live to their 90s. Wow. That is wild. It's just wild to think that she murdered all these people who were entrusted to her and that she got to live to her 90s. I hope she's rotting in hell with arsenic panties on. Yeah, she's cozied up next to Rush Limbaugh for sure. I don't know. Say something funny. Get me out of this hellscape. I think we should bow our heads in prayer. Yeah, let's pray. Our mother who art in heaven, Betty White be your name. Thank you for being a friend. Thy shady pines come. Travel down the road back again. Be Arthur's will be done. <laughs> Your heart is true. Oh, Be Arthur, can you please gather the saints? Estelle Getty, Be Arthur, and Rue McClanahan. We're going to ask that you will look over us in this dark time. And Lord, please, Betty White, fix it. You can make it right. Because if anybody knows anything about love, kindness, and stupidity, it's Rose Nyland. <laughs> we love you, Betty White. We miss you. The world's not been the same since your passing. Please tell Joan Rivers we say hello. And if you have any pull in hell, pour a little extra gasoline in Amy Archer's panties. <laughs> Thank you, down bitches. Well, True Nightmares is truly a 
nightmare. Y'all, I'll be on my prayer list to the day I die. <laughs> Thank you for joining us on I Think Not. Please go and connect with us on social media. We love hearing from you. Don't forget, we are I Think Not Pod on all platforms. You can also join our Facebook group where we got a lot going on over there. We got Small Business Saturday coming up. We got lots of conversations. We're going to be launching our weekly True Crime Facts on our Facebook page. Where can they find our Facebook page, Joey? It's called the I Think Not Podcast Facebook Discussion Group. You can also find me on Instagram at It's Joey Taranto, and you can find Ellen at Ellen Marsh, Ellen with a Y. And don't forget to join our Patreon if you haven't already. We got lots of bonus stuff for you, and if you're feeling sassy, go on ahead and leave us a five-star review on iTunes. It really does help us with the algorithm. Say something nice. Say something to boost our egos. You know we're needy little bitches. And if you have something mean to say, just text your friends. (laughs) We love you so much. Thank you so much for being here. Mark Timonelli, not you. You will definitely be on my prayer list. She's not a Christian. (laughs) We love you, dumb bitches. We love you. I love you, Yellow Marsh. I love you, Joey. Bye. Bye. I miss you, Betty White. Thank you, Ellen. I did not survive the smell of CK1 in a high school locker room to deal with this shit. We did not survive butterfly clips and pencil-thin eyebrows to end up here. Does anyone care about us? Well, it turns out that Professor... Well, it turns out that Professor... Get it out, baby. You got this. You did not You did not survive the 90s for this. You're not going to get taken down by the English language now, baby. You talk. You get those words out. You got this. <laughs> what in the Nell Carter is happening over there? The, Come on. The meditation is really helping. Yeah, I think the meditation wore off at about noon, baby. I am so old, I have no brain cells left. Not because of the weed, but because there was lead in our toys. <laughs> That's for real. 